Well, it is good to be back with you this morning. We're, we're going to be wrapping up our uh, brief study in Ephesians uh, today. Uh, did uh, several weeks of, of studying this back in, in November and December before taking a break. But uh, we're, we're going to wrap up our study in that uh, household code, and we're going to be in Ephesians 6 this morning, and hopefully next week we'll be back in uh, the Gospel of John. It, uh, it, it's been said that a, a woman with a child is a natural fact. Uh, a man with a child is a social achievement. Uh, and it, what that quote means is it's really just a, a simple observation about uh, human behavior. Right, there's a, a, a mother's devotion to her child just comes uh, naturally no one has to encourage that or require that of mothers uh, they're just naturally attached for a, a number of reasons uh, but uh, it's it's more difficult or it, fathers connect to children in a, in a different way uh, and author david blankenhorn said compared to mothers fathers are are less born than made and as a social role, fatherhood is less uh, inela- the inelastic result of sexual embodiment than the fragile creation uh, of cultural norms. Basically what he's saying that when a, uh, when a given culture has a high expectation of men, uh, that they would, uh, as fathers, provide and care for their family, uh, th- that men will, will rise to that because there's a, there's a cultural pressure and a cultural expectation uh, and maybe even a cultural shame if men don't rise to that occasion. And that's what uh, was uh, present in so many Western uh, cultures for, for a long period of time. But, but now what we're currently facing, on the other hand, is that if there is no expectations of men, what happens? Men men fall to that level of expectation. Uh, they, they don't rise to, to anything. Uh, and, and right now there's a, there's a pandemic of uh, fatherlessness within our current culture, an absence of faithful fathers. So cultural expectations have a, have a profound uh, impact upon fatherhood. And the reason is that is because uh, real, when we think of, of culture, we don't often think about what's at the, the root of that culture. Every uh, culture has a, a cultus, a form of, of worship, a, a set of ideas that life is being uh, built around. Uh, and there are, are certain uh, ideas and values that our culture has uh, embraced and bought into, and that's led us in a particular direction. Uh, in which fathers are not expected to do anything for their children, uh, in which uh, many millions of babies have been aborted and, and murdered in the womb. Uh, drag queen story hour is embraced and, and celebrated. All of these cultural things uh, are rooted in a cultus, a form of, of worship. Uh, and so each uh, culture has different expectations of, of fathers. And uh, the, the church, since we have our own uh, cultus, our own form of worship, and, and a form of worship that is supposed to be uh, diametrically opposed to the, to the worship of the world around us, right? So we can say within the, the Christian culture, within the Christian church, what should our expectations be of fathers? Or what should the, the church be calling fathers to be uh, and to do? And, and really, that's at the, at the heart of uh, what the Apostle Paul is addressing uh, here in the household code of uh, Ephesians 5 and, and 6. He, he's, he's setting uh, expectations for the Christian household. 
Uh, he's, he's creating a, an understanding of this is how and he began with the most important relationship within the household, the relationship between husbands and wives. He said, this is the most important uh, relationship, and here's how they are to conduct themselves. Here, here's the expectation of a Christian household. He began that in uh, Ephesians 5, uh, verse 22. If you look at that with me, he says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. And so husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. And he who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So Paul began and, and set the expectations of the relationship between husband and wife. And then he moves to the, the next relationship in a Christian household, which is between parents and children. Look at it, chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long in the land. So first he, he addresses the expectations for, for children, that they are to, to honor and to obey their parents. Now, and then in, in verse 4, he, he, he's going to be addressing parents and, and the, the commands there are uh, immediately directed to fathers. Uh, and we, we talked about this last time. They're immediately directed to fathers because uh, a father is the head of the household. Uh, and he's going to be addressing th- these uh, instructions and these warnings to uh, two fathers, but they're also going to be applicable to uh, to mothers as well. Now, and we spoke about this last time, just the very beginning part of chapter 6, verse 4. The, the, the warning that is given to fathers, and it is, it is a much-needed warning. He says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And we looked at all of the, the, the ways that fathers can easily provoke uh, and prompt their children to be exasperated. Oftentimes within our own uh, hypocrisy, our own inconsistencies. Uh, and as fathers, we're usually blind to those. But if you want to know what those are, ask your wife, uh, ask your children. They, they will probably roll out a, a scroll uh, and be able to, to give you line items on that. But, but we need to be aware of that. And uh, with all of our hearts seeking to address any area that may be a stumbling block, to our wives or to our children. But what I want to focus upon today is, is the, in the positive instruction to fathers and ultimately to, to parents. The beginning of verse 4, he said, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but instead of that, do this. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, and in that little phrase, we, we have a whole set of expectations of fathers. 
Uh, and the Apostle Paul is directing this to, to Christians in the, in the first century. But what we need to understand is because, uh, again, a culture is built upon a, a, a way of worship. Uh, how we worship as Christians uh, isn't rooted in the, the culture around us and the changing times. How we worship as Christians is rooted in who God is and what his word calls us to be and to do. Uh, and so what the Apostle uh, Paul is establishing, even with it throughout this household code, uh, these, these are timeless truths. These are timeless expectations. Uh, and what he is calling and commanding first century fathers to be and to do is the same for 21st, centuries, uh, 21st century fathers as well. And so, so what are a father's responsibilities? What, what should we expect of Christian fathers? So Paul, Paul begins with a, with a very direct uh, command, and, we, and we'll look at that first. But before we, we dive into the direct ca- command and then the, the clarification of two aspects of the command, I, I'd love to just pause and pray and ask for the Lord to, to lead us and guide us. Heavenly Father, you are good and faithful and true. You are without hypocrisy. And perfect. God, we, we thank you that in your own choice you have revealed yourself to us and called yourself by the name of Father. And in so doing, you have given us an example to follow, an example to, to measure ourselves by. May we not measure ourselves by ourselves, but And we measure ourselves according to your perfect, holy standard of righteousness. And as we see ourselves falling short in any uh, area of character, of conduct or word, Lord, grant us repentance. Help us to be quick to confess our failings to you and, and to those that they have impacted. May we be transformed by your word, May we be conformed by your word and the power of your spirit into the image and likeness of your son who has made you known to us in a perfect way. We look to him, we look to you, we ask for your blessing and your guidance in the matchless name of your son and our savior. Amen. So so what I want to look at is the Apostle Paul gives a gives an initial command that this is the responsibility of fathers, of parents. And then there's, there's two specific aspects of what that is going to look like on a day-to-day basis. But the, the, the first paternal responsibility that he, he lists out at the very beginning of the verse is to, to bring up children. And I worded that specifically as a, as a paternal responsibility because what do we typically think about when in the raising of children? Who do we usually, we usually say that's a maternal responsibility. Uh, but the Apostle Paul says specifically, hey, fathers, again, it's going to be applicable to mothers as well. So I'm going to mention fathers, and they're the head of the household, and I'm going to kind of be hitting the, the men here this, this morning. But ladies, you're not, you're not uh, excused from this. But he says uh, that, that fathers, you are to, to bring them up. Uh, and, and the idea of, of bringing them up is uh, to, to bring up from childhood. But really, this is the, the same uh, word that we saw back in chapter 5, verse 29, uh, that uh, describes the way a husband is to care and love for his wife. If you go back to 529, he says, it says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes, and that's our word, uh, 
Uh, that, that is the, the way uh, that uh, a husband is to interact with his, his wife. The idea of physical provision and nourishing and uh, so cherishing her is that next phrase. But the, the nourishment uh, is the idea. And that same command is given uh, here of fathers towards their, their children. Uh, that fathers are called to, to provide uh, physically for the needs of their children. As, as children are growing up within your household, fathers, we have a responsibility to give them what they uh, require to be able to continue to, to grow. Uh, and John Calvin says that the, the Greek word here, uh, which is translated as bring up, un- unquestionably conveys the I- idea of gentleness and, and forbearance. Uh, there's a, there's a, an affection here uh, that is commanded. He, he goes on, he says, kind and liberal treatment uh, has rather a tendency to cherish reverence for their parents. So when, when fathers are kind and gracious to their kids, uh, there's a reverence for uh, that, uh, that father as well. He says, and to increase the cheerfulness and activity of the child's obedience, uh, while a harsh and unkind manner uh, rouses children to obstinacy and destroys the natural affections. And that's why the Apostle Paul began with that warning to fathers. So watch out how you conduct yourselves. Don't provoke your children to anger, but uh, instead you are to bring them up. You are to cherish them. And what Paul is commanding here uh, is really an, an affection that leads to provision. Uh, that is the expectation for Christian fathers and for, uh, for Christian mothers. And some of you might be, be thinking of, this seems really obvious. Right? Like, do we really have to spend time saying that fathers are to, to care and provide for their children? Yes, it, it is absolutely uh, obvious. And, and God has uh, created a strong bond between parents and, and children. And it's, uh, it's so strong that even unbelievers, even those who reject God, still have an affection for their children. Again, mothers have that natural affection, uh, and fathers will still have uh, an affection, but it's not always present. Now, but a good father, even those who reject God, understand that a good father ought to provide for his children. And, and Jesus really assumes this point uh, as he taught about God's love for his people. If you turn back to, to Luke chapter uh, 11, you'll see what Jesus assumes uh, as he teaches about the, the character of our heavenly father. Now, and he, he compares uh, God the father in heaven to earthly fathers. Uh, and uh, he's making a contrast. Luke 11 verse 11 He says, but what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if his son asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So he's he's making a, a point and he's assuming the reality that even unbelieving fathers care and love for their children. This is the, the most basic expectation of a father uh, to provide for uh, his children and to give them good gifts. And uh, and yet this still needs to be said because we live in a fallen world. Uh, and uh, one in which many men have given into the temptations of, of selfishness, of, of laziness or, or apathy. Uh, and which means that this has to be said, this most basic assumption of fathers providing for their, their children. I say that there's, a, there's a reason for every rule. So if you walk into uh, a store, you often see a, a sign or at a, in a little restaurant that says, no shirt, no shoes, no service. Why do they have that posted there? There's a reason for every rule, because people have come in without shirts or without shoes. And so it's like, okay, we have to make this clear. Uh, and so you could also say in, in the scriptures, there's a reason for every exhortation. 
Right, so why does this need to be said? Well, because there are still some who have fallen into this sin and in this error, even this most basic of assumptions. And the Apostle Paul addresses this issue, this issue in his letters. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, he says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's a very strong statement. Again, it's, it's hitting onto this reality of, of parents, and especially fathers, are called to, to provide and care for their children. Now, he's going to, to, to point to a timeless principle again in Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. And he says at the beginning of the verse, Here for this third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden to you. For I do not seek what is yours, but I seek you. Uh, and so he, he's going to... Be, be appealing to them and try, seeking to explain to them and, and he's going to compare himself as their spiritual father but he says this he's going to appeal to this timeless truth he says for children ought not to save up for their parents but parents for their children right the, the expectation of provision is that fathers and uh, mothers would care for and provide for their their children and our own culture right now is filled with with men who are unwilling to do this most basic responsibility of fatherhood and uh, at times, uh, this issue uh, creeps into the church as well. And so this exhortation is always necessary because it's in Scripture. Uh, fathers, we have an obligation to, to provide for our children. But I, but I think the church also faces a, a different problem. Because there are, there are many dads and fathers in the church who are physically present but spiritually absent. Uh, they, are, they are willing to, uh, to go through the, the, the hoops. Uh, they're willing to go and, and work hard to provide materially for their, their children, but then they are, they are absent spiritually. Uh, they don't want to take that next step within leading their home uh, to provide immaterial things. Right? They don't want to take the time to talk about uh, the Scriptures. They don't want to talk about who Jesus is. They don't want to take the time out of their schedule to meet with their kids and find out uh, how are they doing, what are their cares, what are their concerns, where are they at in their relationship with the Lord. That's a different type of care and concern. Uh, but it is just as important because as, we, as we'll, we're going to see in this verse, the Apostle Paul says "Be sure to, to, parents are to, to bring up their children, but he doesn't say making sure that they have the nicest clothes and the coolest shoes, right? Spoiler alert for the rest of the verse. You can look at it. Uh, we're to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And th- those are immaterial things. Those are not physical things. Uh, th- those are, th- th- that, that is I- instruction. Th- those are spiritual and, and mental aspects that fathers are called to pass along. And fathers, we have to be willing to do that. We can't stop it just merely paying the rent and clothing our kids. And putting food on the table, even though food gets more and more expensive. And as your, your boys get older, they just eat more and more food. What do you do with that? I'll talk to some of you guys. But, 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 but this is the, the reality that we have to, to recognize. That, that as fathers and as parents, we can't just stop at material provision. One, uh, one historian said that 17th century Puritans, fathers and mothers alike, cared deeply for their children and invested an enormous amount of time and energy in them. And in the view of one scholar, John Demos, he says, the devotion of Puritan fathers to their children has not since been equaled. And I think that, uh, I think the Puritans understood 
the expectations that God has for fathers. That we are called, we are commanded to be involved with our kids. Not just providing for them physically, but also spiritually. So, so if you are here and, and you are a father and you're providing materially for your kids, that is great and wonderful. Keep at it. Excel still more. But if you're here and you, you are struggling in that realm or being inconsistent and unfaithful in that, the, the, the quickest route is what you need to do is, is to repent, to turn from that and to begin to be faithful in caring for and providing for those who are within your own household. This is the most basic responsibility that fathers have. So it's good that if you are doing that, but, but the next step is are you providing spiritually for your children? Are you leading your homes and families well? And that's what the the remainder of this verse is going to focus upon. And and really, are you lovingly bringing them up with two big realities in mind? Reality number one is one day uh, your kids are going to move out of your house and into the world. Right. Some of you might be looking forward to that day. Some of you might be, uh, you know, dreading that day. But the reality is every child here will eventually be an arrow shot out of their home and into the world. And are your uh, kids ready for that? And in that sense, as kids are, are shot out into the world, uh, the, the parenting goal is, is, are we preparing them? Are they going to be mature? Right? There are certain things uh, that our kids need to, to know and we need to discipline and instruct our kids in of even just, uh, you know, getting someplace on time, combing your hair if, you know, while they have hair. Um, and being able to, to be faithful and responsible adults. We're just seeking to, 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 to discipline and disciple them into maturity as human beings, right? Uh, and that's, that's our hope and ambition as we're, we're launching them out into the world. We need to keep that in mind, that they're one day going to move out of our house into the world, but that we also need to keep in mind something else, that one day they're going to move out of this world and into eternity. And... and our responsibilities there are much heavier and much weightier. Uh, and, and that reality that one day our, all of our children, all of us here, are going to move from this world into eternity means that every single parent is also a proclaimer, is also a preacher. They are going to be proclaiming and exhorting our, our kids uh, to look to Christ in faith. We're going to be showing them the goodness and the holiness of God. We're going to be uh, proclaiming, even as Isaac talked about uh, in communion this morning, that every single one of us is in rebellion against God. That is our natural state. We, while we were enemies of God, while we were in rebellion against Him, God demonstrated His love by sending His Son to die for us. That's the, that's the message that we need to be regularly announcing to our children and calling them to respond to. This is who Jesus is. This is what He has done. What are you going to do with that? And pointing them, even from a young age, to that reality of eternity. Every single person, every single place around the world and across history is called to respond to that message. God is now calling all people everywhere to repent and look to Christ in faith. If you haven't done that, we would urge you to do that today. If you, as a parent you haven't been proclaiming that gospel, we would urge you to begin to do it today. And if you're going to be proclaiming that gospel, what had you also better be doing? You believe it yourself and you model it yourself. All of that goes hand in hand. But, but we have to, to parent with those two big realities in mind. One day our kids will move out of our house and into the world, and one day they will move out of this world and into eternity. And both of those happen far quicker than we realize. 
goes so quickly. Children are, are born, they just keep growing. I see this in, in my own uh, youngest son who's uh, six weeks old. You know, when they're just brand new born, you can kind of hold them right here. And then at six weeks, they're like, you're kind of chubbing out there, buddy. Right? You're starting to get some rolls. We, we like that. That's good for, for a little baby. But, but in essence, children are, are born and then they just keep growing in so many ways. It's like an unstoppable river. Right? And then suddenly they're, they're graduating from high school, graduating from college, getting married, having children of their own. It, it goes so quickly and it just moves along. Now, and parents have this responsibility. We, we, sometimes we want to just like try to stop up the, the river. Let's just stop it. You're not going to go any further than this. But the reality of parenting is we, we need to guide. Uh, we need to, to wisely p- pursue where does this river need to go uh, and, and guide them along uh, where they need to be to the glory of God. And so in, in that sense, what the Apostle Paul lays out in the remainder of this verse are really two riverbanks to that, that parenting responsibility. And if you, what happens if you take away one riverbank in a river? There's a flood. Right? There's no more river. The land is, is uh, saturated and overspilled, but that river has, has ceased to flow. And so these two uh, aspects of the, the parental responsibility of bringing up are going to work in tandem together. Uh, and so we're going to look at the, the first uh, riverbank. It's really just in the, the first uh, word there. He says, but, but bring them up in the uh, discipline. Now, and you could say, <clears throat> I had to condense my, my points down a little bit, but in the discipline you could say of the Lord. Uh, and of the Lord is really the riverbed, the, the foundation. We're always appealing to the authority of God. Uh, and building everything based upon his character, his uh, word. Now, but the first riverbank of paternal responsibility, uh, I'll put it this way. It, it's comprehensive training. Uh, that word uh, that is translated in the, the LSB that I'm reading from and the NASB and the ESV, uh, it's translated as discipline uh, there. And in the old King James, it's translated as nurture. Uh, and in the new King James, it's translated as training. Now, that same word appears in 2 Timothy 3.16, the Iwana verse that you're probably all familiar with. Uh, the Word of God is, is, is uh, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. And then that last aspect is what? Training. That's the same word. Uh, it's the Greek word paideia. Uh, and th- this is a very weighty and important word. Uh, a couple of Greek dictionaries and would, would explain it in this way, that it is the act of providing guidance for responsible living, upbringing, training, instruction, uh, and it's the idea of attained, it is attained by discipline and correction. Uh, in secular Greek writing, this was the, the state of being uh, brought up properly. Uh, another dictionary says that uh, this word denotes the upbringing and handling of the child which is growing up to maturity uh, and which thus needs direction, teaching, instruction, and a certain measure of compulsion in the form of discipline or even chastisement. Paideia is both the way of education uh, and cultivation which has to be traversed uh, and also the goal uh, which is to be attained. So there's a, there's a lot to this word, uh, this word here. Okay, the, the, the idea of, of paideia is uh, not only where you, the destination that you're aiming for, but also the process of disciplining and instructing your, your child. Aristotle used this term uh, to describe a holistic education which, comes, or which aims at creating a, a man who is uh, morally upright. I was looking in the, 
the, the junk mail this week. Uh, everybody else get junk mail? Right, I get this. I got this flyer for a religious book club. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Let me let me kind of look through there. And I just happened to open it up, and, and I see this uh, this book there. It's called the the Jewish Paideia. Uh, in essence of, of what is the, the Jewish way of instructing and molding in a comprehensive way uh, uh, and giving uh, instruction to, to children. And, and for, the, for the Greeks, the idea that the main uh, element in their education was philosophy. And that spiritual love for young people was expected to promote education, to develop talents of leadership, and, and it's to, to, to fashion and shape essential virtues. And finally, everything depends on a good example, it says. And fathers must not be teachers of wrongdoing to their children. And so, so Paul is, is using a, a weighty term in the culture of his day, uh, and he's picking it up, and all of the, those threads are, are attached to it because when somebody in the first century would hear that word, uh, they're, they're familiar with the, the Greek philosophical background of it, this entire comprehensive uh, view of, of explaining culture and education. And so he, Paul picks up this word with all of the strings attached and then redefines the word and says we're to train our children in a way that is uh, completely of the Lord. Now, this is what we are called to, to provide in, in, in our instruction. Of we, we're to give a comprehensive understanding of God, His Word, and His uh, world. Now, and this involves every area of life. Yes, tie your shoes to the glory of God. Do math to the glory of God. Study history and science uh, and everything to the glory of God. This is what we are called and commanded to do. And it's interesting that the, the Greek philosophers warned uh, that, that the best tutors must be chosen for your children. And they, they emphasize that a greedy or intemperate tutor will have a detrimental effect upon your, your, the students. And so the, the character of the tutor was of the utmost importance, and choosing the wrong tutor uh, would lead to tremendous regrets. This is uh, profound that even the, the secular Greeks are, are emphasizing character. Uh, but really in the, in the last half of the, the 20th century, Christians... Christians around the, the country didn't really flinch about sending, sending our kids into government schools, right? And, and usually, what are we not considering in sending our kids to government schools? What's, what's the character of the teachers? Well, and, and really, within any education, uh, parents need to be aware of who's teaching, what's being taught, who are, they, who are kids around, but it's interesting of just this reality of even the secular Greeks understood you have to think about who's going to be teaching our kids. I think that's something that, that parents often overlook. And, and that's where, uh, fathers, we have to, to know and to understand that we have this responsibility. This is not something that we can outsource to others. We can't punt on this. And if we do, we're going to have a lot of regrets later on. One pastor said that if, if Christians had pulled their children uh, from government schools back in the 1980s, we would not be in the current cultural predicament that we're in. And I have to see some wisdom there. Fathers, we can't outsource this, especially not to unbelievers, and especially not uh, to those who are openly hostile to Christ. And so this, this exhortation, does this mean that, uh, that uh, only a father is able to teach his kids? No. Not at all. The, the responsibility, what's being commanded here, is that fathers need to, to, to oversee. They need to be aware. It would be great for fathers to take a proactive and have a presence within their ch- child's education. 
but they have to know in a comprehensive way what is being taught. So fathers, yeah, do you know uh, what curriculum uh, your kids are, are working through and what is in that curriculum? What are they being uh, educated in and how are they being taught? Uh, do you know who the, the teachers are that are teaching your kids? Uh, do you know who the, the, the peers are that your kids are hanging out with? Uh, do you know in the same way uh, what your kids are watching and what they're listening to? Right? Do screens disciple? Far more than we realize. Right? And you can think of the, the movies that your uh, kids watch. Those are their traveling companions. Right? Well, are, are you aware of that? Are you taking that into consideration about how that is uh, shaping and making an impact upon your kids? And parents, you have a tremendous responsibility uh, to, to bring up your children uh, in a comprehensive Christian worldview, a comprehensive education for the glory of God. Uh, and I want to say uh, you bear that responsibility, but the church is also here uh, to help come alongside you and to, to encourage and champion you uh, in that uh, responsibility. And, that, and that's a part of why we, we sought to, to put together the ambassador co-op this year uh, of, hey, we, all of our parents here have this same responsibility. How about we fulfill that responsibility together? How about we partner uh, and, and work it to labor to teach up our, our children uh, to grow and uh, to develop to the glory of God? And we want to continue to, to grow and expand that ministry. And then also, parents, I would encourage you, uh, register for that parenting conference. We're, we're seeking to, to come alongside you and to, to equip you to be able to pour into your kids. Uh, I would encourage you to take advantage of that. But stepping back a little bit, dads, how, how are we doing in this? Now, are you willing to take an active interest in pouring into your kids? Uh, and if you haven't been, what, what steps do you need to take to be able to, to take an interest? Now, are, are you willing to sacrifice time in your schedule to spend time with your kids? When was the last time you as a dad spent individual time with each of your children and, and had a conversation with about where are they? How are you doing? What are you, what are you thinking about? What are you, what are you struggling in? What do you think about what's being taught at church? What are you learning at youth group? When was the last time you had that type of individual time just to be able to assess and shepherd your kids? And if you don't take that uh, more, than a, more than a passing interest in this, you're eventually going to have, uh, have regrets. And oftentimes when those regrets grow and pop up is years from now, right? Uh, it, this is a slow-growing crop, and, and the regrets of it later, sometimes you can't just uh, plant a, an immediate new crop. But you have to think about what is going to be growing years from now and, and am I uh, diligent in instructing my children? Am, am I providing for them? And then am I pro, uh, caring for them uh, and in instructing them in, in the discipline, in the instruction of the Lord? Uh, am I g- providing a comprehensive training for them? That, that's the first uh, riverbank that the Apostle Paul is, is holding up here. But then there's a second riverbank that, that works in partnership with the first. And uh, it's the, 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 the second riverbank is... Loving correction. Says, uh, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, and most uh, new translations translate this word as instruction. The King James and the New King James uh, will have an, an older word, uh, admonition. Uh, and, and the Greek word uh, there as the idea of nutheteo uh, uh, or nuthesia. It, it's the idea of uh, counsel uh, about avoidance or cessation of an improper course of conduct, admonition uh, or instruction. Uh, and so this word is, uh, the, the old term for biblical counseling used to be nuthetic counseling, but nobody knew what that was. Uh, and the idea of nuthetic counseling is you're, you're coming and you're exhorting, you're admonishing. 
Uh, you're correcting according to the scriptures. Uh, and, and this word, that, that's the, the root of what we're, parents are called to do here. It's used elsewhere in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. It says, now these things happen to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction. There's our, there's our word. They were written for our correction upon whom the ends of the ages have arrived. So the Apostle Paul is pointing to Old Testament uh, examples and saying, hey, we need to learn from them and to correct our uh, existing uh, children and our existing lives here and now based upon the correction that others receive. It's also used in Titus uh, chapter 3, verse 10. It says, reject a factious man after a first and second warning. And there's, the, there's the, the, our word, that idea of, of warning uh, our, our children and calling them to, uh, to repentance, calling and re- rebuking them for improper course of conduct. And so uh, this, is, this is in contrast to just mere uh, instruction. Right? It's not just about giving our kids uh, information. Uh, another uh, theological dictionary says that the primary there, there's just pure instruction in in the greek kind of way of thinking uh, that that is mainly directed to the intellect uh, but but this uh, idea of admonishment describes an effect on the will and on the disposition and it presupposes an opposition which has to be overcome parents have you ever feel like your kids are opposing you they're battling against your correction yeah uh, that that's that feeling and it seeks to correct the mind, to put right what is wrong, to improve the spiritual attitude. The basic idea is that of a well-meaning earnestness, which one seeks to influence the mind and disposition by appropriate instruction, exhortation, warning, and uh, correction. And so this is, this is the other riverbank, right? So if, if the first uh, riverbank uh, is, is uh, called to, uh, to teach us, and to, uh, uh, it calls us to a positive formation within our our children we're we're to to give them a comprehensive training and everything that they need to know and believe and kind of build their understanding of god and the world around us that's what we're to be actively doing and then on the other hand the other riverbank that we also need to focus upon is kind of a a negative formation that uh, if if this uh, on the one hand saying everything that you need to know to live according to christ uh, on the other side we're saying okay this is keeping you from living according to christ this is everything that is hindering you from obeying jesus and i need to i need to point that out so if, it, if this riverbank is saying this is what you're aiming for uh, this riverbank is saying here's how you're missing Th- this is what you're missing uh, and, and parents we have to do both uh, sometimes we, we shrink back uh, from from that responsibility from, from uh, sometimes parents will, will be stronger in one than the other uh, and sometimes we shrink back especially from the telling our kids where they're going wrong because we, we want to just have our kids be our friends uh, but in the long term, that's going to, that's going to backfire. Uh, your, uh, Hebrews 12 talks about a loving father disciplining his children. Uh, and as, uh, as you go through that discipline, uh, do you enjoy it? Do you like it? No. no. It's not enjoyable in the moment. But as you look back upon the discipline of your father, you, you respect your father for that and you appreciate it. Uh, and uh, the author of Hebrews is using that as an illustration of God's discipline of his children, of his people. And so if you, if you lovingly parent according to these two riverbanks of giving instruction and correction, uh, your kids will love you for it. Now, I'm reading this, this short biography of a, an African-American pastor uh, named Lemuel Haynes who lived uh, in... in preached some pastors in New England in the late 1700s and early, early 1800s. And, and I was amazed at the words of his sons. 
Now, two of, two of his sons, Samuel and William, wrote this in their private correspondence. Now, their father lived to be uh, 80 years old. I think he had 10 children. And these are two of his sons. And, and listen to the way that they're talking to one another about their father. He says, Has not the Lord been gracious in that he has continued our father so long, that we have heard his admonitions for many years and have been blessed with his society and prayers? Our father was happy in death, his son set clear, and he could say but little to us. He admonished us to, to walk in the ways of wisdom, to live in love, and implored us, implored the God of peace to be with us. And another son commented after his father's death, he said, My father's counsels and prayers, that I have reason to think, have kept me from falling into many snares and temptations, with which my life has been beset. His advice and warnings are so fresh in my memory as if they were uttered yesterday. And I have reason to bless God for the gift of such a parent. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of energy. It's a lot of labor to interact with your children in that way. But that's what what we're all aspiring for, right? So if you're if you're a parent, that's what you that's the kind of letter that you hope and pray that your children would write after your death. Amen. That that's what you want to to have, and that's how you want your your children to be viewing uh, your your correction, your admonition. I know some of you are in the middle of some really difficult circumstances with, with your kids. And I've said it before, and I'll continue to say it, that parenting adult children is way more difficult, way more exhausting and soul-wearying than parenting young children. But we have to to think about these things, of of what is the the end goal of our instruction. And what what am I demonstrating? Am I demonstrating love and care and concern in my relationship with my kids? Proverbs 13.24 says, He who holds back his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Parental discipline, parental correction, parental instruction is all a demonstration of care and concern. That's what we need to see and understand. And this is the expectation that the Apostle Paul places upon fathers, upon all parents. So how, how how are we doing in this responsibility? Are you taking it seriously? I, I know it's really, really easy for 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 all of our responsibilities in, in the Christian life to it's easy for some of them to kind of disappear, to get pushed off of the edges of our radar, right? So so many things are demanding our attention and requiring our time. But but I would say this if you are a parent this has to be a responsibility that stays in the middle of your radar. It has to, to stay right in the middle of your focus. It can't be pushed to the periphery without great expense later on. It has to be at the forefront of your mind. This is what the Lord has called you to. And for those of you who are are here in your college age, you're single, I hope you didn't tune all of this out. Hopefully I'm not just getting your attention right now as I begin to address you directly. But, but these are the things that are, are waiting and looming for you. And these are the things that you need to begin to set your heart and your mind towards. 
this is what you're signing up for as you begin to pursue marriage, as you begin to pursue parenthood, this is what is ahead of you. And set in your mind and in your heart the convictions now, this is what I need to be able to focus upon. A primary calling of a parent is to pour into their kids. But we have to be convinced of, of the importance of this calling. Again, it takes a lot of time and energy and intentionality. You're going to have to sacrifice more and more of the things that you want in order to do this well and to do this faithfully. Parents, are you bringing up your children in the discipline and, and admonition, the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Again, there's no higher calling in life. Six years before his death in, in 1919, Teddy Roosevelt looked back on his life. And if you, if you were to read just a little bit about Teddy Roosevelt's life, he lived an amazing life. He, he's a, a war hero. He explored uh, the western uh, plains and the Dakota Badlands. He, he did so many amazing things. He went down to the jungles of the, the Amazon, and that was one of the most har- harrowing experiences that he had. He, he had all of these experiences. Oh, yeah, he was also president. Um, this is what he says as he, you know, just uh, before his death, he looked back at his many achievements. And he said, there are many kinds of success in life worth having. It is exceedingly interesting and attractive to be a successful businessman or railroad man or farmer or a successful lawyer or doctor or a writer or a president or a ranch man, or the colonel of a fighting regiment, or to kill grizzly bears and lions. Those are all things that he himself did. He says, But for unflagging interest and enjoyment, a household of children, if things go reasonably well, certainly makes all other forms of success and achievement lose their importance by comparison. He lived a, a full life. And his greatest satisfaction was in the kids that he saw raised up and the ones that he sent off into the world. We need to, to understand, and again, thinking about the future, do we, are we going to have that same type of satisfaction? Not only as we send our kids off into the world, but as we send them off into eternity. That needs to be at the forefront of our hearts and minds and my prayer for every parent and every future parent here that we would be faithful in our calling that we would be faithful in understanding the expectation that Christ calls us to uh, as husbands as fathers, as wives and mothers we pour into our kids as we sacrifice and expend a lot of blood, sweat and tears, a lot of sleepless nights when they're young and when they're older are we willing to give those things up and hand them over to God uh, out of love for God and love for our children